Hey guys, you're listening to a message from Pastor Seb called Origin Stories right here on the Engage Network. Uh, anyways, welcome to Engage Church. My name's Seb. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I'm often in Stony Plains, so you may not have seen me for a long time or been like, did that guy just like leave and, you know, go join who knows? Uh, no, I'm here, and I'm super happy to be here today. If it's your first time here, thank you for joining us. Thank you for spending some time out of your week to be with us here today. And uh, I'm just going to jump right into this. So the past few weeks, we've been going through a series called Child of God. Uh, now, if you were here last week, and you saw me preach at the 1230, lift up your hand. Okay, for those people, I'm genuinely sorry. This is the same sermon. So uh, maybe you needed to hear it twice, just saying. Um, but I have more energy today, so it will be better, okay? Um, anyways, the last few weeks, we've been going through a series called Child of God, uh, and, and what that series is, is just looking at what it means to be a child of God and how that should influence our every single day lives, and I think it's really important for us to understand the significance to being a child of God, because it will change every single thing we do in our lives. See, sometimes I think we approach uh, being children of God is just like something you add to your resume, right? So you have on your resume, like, you have like, I mean, okay, who here on their resume has attention to detail on the resume? Lift up your hand. Let's see who has attention to detail. Okay, that's like the most common thing on a resume. I like put it on there and I'm like, do I even have an attention to detail? Like, I might have spelled detail wrong. You know, it's like one of those things that everyone has on their resume that I don't know if it even really matters. But that's one of the things we have on our resume. We might have a previous job. We might have all of these things. And then at the very bottom, we say, child of God. You know, I'm a child of God. It's just something that's a part of my life. But it's like, you know, it's just something that I sort of am because, like, he's, he controls the universe. And, like, I'm, I'm part of the universe, so I guess I'm his child. But, no, I don't think that's the reality. The reality is, is that when we are children of God, it is something so profound that it should change the entire way that we live our lives and how we approach every single decision. Let's look at Romans 8, verses 12 to 17. If you have your Bible here, you can feel free to flip there. Uh, does anyone here have their Bible? Let's see. Okay, wow, there's like five here, revival levels. Now we can, we can continue revival levels if we actually open them and go to Romans 8, uh, New Testament. Uh, but you can also follow along on the screen. Uh, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father. For his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Let's pray. God, we just thank you that you're here with us today. We thank you that you have a word for us, that you want us to know you in a deeper level, that you want, us to, you want to take us to, to deeper places, God. Lord, we thank you that when we understand who our Father is and, and where our identity lies, God, it can fix a lot of problems in our lives. So, Lord, I just pray that we would understand who we are today, that we would be able to have ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. And, God, I just pray um, that above all, your love and your grace would be shown in this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So now by show of hands, uh, you guys did this last week, but let's do it again this week. By show of hands, who here, after all of these long, dark, terrible years, all of the weeping and gnashing, all of the pain, the trials, the tribulations, all of the betrayal, who here, by show of hands, is still an Oilers fan? Yeah, yeah okay, okay. We got like four. So great. Good job, Oilers. Um, 
they are not going to be able to steal, sell their season tickets. Uh, that's fine. Uh, Oilers are one of those things that uh, I used to love and still love Connor McDavid, but the rest of it is very difficult. Jordan Everly used to be my favorite. His birthday is the same day as mine, and I was, like, super stoked about that. And he got traded away. I just felt betrayed. So, anyways, uh, in the NHL, one of the things that's coming up in the next few weeks is the NHL draft. And the NHL draft is uh, where all these 18-year-old players, or, or maybe even younger than 18 if they're really good, uh, come into the draft, and they get drafted by an NHL team, which means that they're going to be some of the next players for this NHL team. That's how we got Connor McDavid. Uh, we did not deserve him. We did not earn him. He was a gift. Um, some would say from God. I'm not going to blaspheme here, but, you know, you can t- take what you want from that. Um, but one of the parts of the NHL draft is that the teams can actually sit down with players that are about to go into the draft to find out what kind of a person they are. They can find out what the person's identity is. They can find out what their family background is. They can find out who they are outside of hockey. Now, if you've ever met a hockey player, sometimes there is nothing outside of hockey. It's only hockey. Um, But there are a lot of people who, when they're not on the ice, they don't act very good in regular society. And NHL teams want to know this. They want to know what kind of a person are you? Because yeah, your your hockey talent might matter, but if we don't know your identity, if we don't know what your past looks like, we're not going to know what your future is going to look like. And I think for some of us, we kind of go through our lives and we haven't even done a sit down with ourselves to find out what is our past? What is our identity? Whose family are we a part of? Why does it matter? And so today I want to look at our family history a little bit. I want to look at what it means to be a child of God. Today, I'm talking about origin stories. So who here has seen the recent Avengers by show of hands? Okay, so a decent amount. The rest of you guys probably don't want to see it. So just to let you know, at the end of the movie, no one's actually that upset about it. Do you? No? It ends. That's what happens at the end of the movie. Actually, do not wait till the end of the credits. It's not worth watching. Uh, the, the first Avengers ever. Um, but in Avengers and in, in these superhero movies, there's always an origin story. And an origin story is how they became the superhero that we know and love today. So for a guy like Spider-Man, I mean, there's been so many iterations of Spider-Man's over the, Spider-Man over the years. They had to do, like, a movie about how there are so many Spider-Mans called Into the Spider-Verse. Um, but pretty much the gist of it is that all these people get bitten by spiders and they become Spider-Man. And that's their origin story. And sure, they have family history, and it all affects all of that. But that's how they become Spider-Man. And then there's other superheroes. And these superheroes I don't consider worthy of being superheroes because they literally bought their way into superhero-ness. So you got, like, Batman. Like, he's rich. That's all that he ever did. He has, he's rich, and he has a nice suit. Like, when people say, I like Batman better than any other superhero, I'm like, you're crazy. That guy does not deserve it. Okay, he was an orphan, so yes, he, d- he deserves it somewhat. But he's also super rich, and he doesn't, you know. And then you got, like, Iron Man, also super rich, super smart. But, like, he was getting blown up, and he puts, like, a little thing in his heart, and he becomes a superhero. Like, that's not how superheroes should start. I'm just saying. Now, for us, sometimes I wonder, how did we become children of God? How did, how did God welcome us into his family? Was it, was it a spider came up and bit us and... Now we're part of his family, we're we're superheroes? Or is it that we're so smart and we're so rich and we're so cunning that he's like, I need that guy on my team? Is that how we became part of God's family? Well, thank goodness for our own egos, that's not how we became part of God's family. In fact, we can't give any credit to ourselves because we didn't do anything to deserve it. See, I think if you've grown up in the church, 
a lot of Christians who've grown up in the church understand their origin story as Adam and Eve. They think, my origin story is Adam and Eve, they came to the world, they took the fruit, they bit the fruit, sin entered the world, so my origin is that I'm a sinner. That's my origin story, and like, yeah, I'm a sinner saved by grace, but like, that was kind of an afterthought. Well, I want to tell you today that you're not an afterthought, that that is not your origin story. That's actually like chapter two or three of the book. And today I want to look at chapter one and then onwards, uh, and what God thinks about us and what that looks like to be a part of his family. See, the first point I have today is that the Father loved us before creation even existed. He loved us first. Let's look at Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 4. Blessed be, the God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before Adam and Eve, before fruit existed, before you were a speck in your parents' eye, before any of those things, it says... He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. You see, I think this is so important because if we look at our origin story as I'm a sinner, that's who I am, we might not understand that we were not an afterthought. God didn't put us on earth and then was like, oh crap, they ate the fruit. I didn't see that one coming. It says he knew before He created the world that he chose us to be his children adopted into his family. See, God had planned out before time even existed that he loved me and he loved you and that he wanted us to be a part of his plan and a part of his family. So about five years ago, uh, I was, I first started coming to Engage. There was about like four people at the church. And so there was no single ladies at the church. It was very disappointing. Um, And so I was looking, I was on the prowl, okay, I'll be honest, I was on the prowl looking for, uh, looking for a Mrs. Murda to call my own. And I, uh, one of my friends was like, hey, Seb, do you want to come play bass at this young adult conference? And, like, I'm very spiritual, so I was like, Lord Jesus, will there be single ladies at this young adult conference? And I heard inside myself, yes, there will be. So I was like, yes, Jesus says I wants to be, he wants me to be there. I didn't actually say that. But I went to this young adult conference, and I played bass. And I was keeping my eyes on the Lord. Um, and after worship, we went out and we were talking. I was talking with a whole bunch of people. And there was this British dude that was there. And, and I was talking to this British dude. And he was, like, really cool. And I kind of, like, looked over. And there was this other girl who was, like, dressed really cool and, like, very, like, British style. Like, tweed pants. That's the word I've been looking for for, like, two weeks. Tweed pants. Do you even know what that is? Maybe it was a pointless word to think about for two weeks. It's like when you think of tweed, you just think British, right? Like, that's what I think, right? So, like, these tweed, what's the word you said? Tweed plaid pants. Like, that's a crazy thing to wear if you're from Canada. Um, so, she's wearing these pants, and so I just think, I just, I just put two and two together. I'm like, okay, she's British. This guy's British. They're married. They're here because they're, like, speakers or something, and, like, cool. So, I just kind of, like, pushed her to the back of, back of my mind and didn't really worry about it anymore. Um... Fortunately for me, uh, while I was on stage, someone did not push me to the back of their mind. Uh, Someone was very distracted during worship, scoping me out the entire time, just like looking up at worship, pretending she's looking at the lyrics, actually looking at eye candy up here, and, uh, you know, just saying, just saying. And so I'm like playing bass and, and whatever, and the weekend ends, and I leave single as I had been. Um, but I also left with a stalker, 
which was really helpful because Haley, my now wife, spoiler alert, sorry, um, she had noticed me and she had wanted to pursue it a little further. One of her friends said, hey, if you want something, you go for it. And she had never done that before, let me tell you. Um, once again, for my, for my benefit, I'm, I'm very thankful about it. So Haley, uh, she sees me and she wants to get to know me a little bit more. I didn't really notice her because I thought she was married to this British guy. And then like a few weeks later, or maybe it was a month later, I have like this big birthday party every year. And I'm throwing this big birthday party, and like, I'm not going to lie, I actually didn't even know she was there until she told me like four years later. But she was there, and she was like trying to get my attention, and like I had no clue she was there. But she was like persistent. She was pursuing me. She was like always trying to get my number. In fact, I didn't want her number. I was like, we ended up getting each other's Snapchat, and so we were like messaging on Snapchat. And like I was trying to avoid the number because I knew that like things would just escalate as soon as we got each other's number. And she's like, probably like the, the third day we're Snapchatting, she's like, by the way, this is my number. I'm like, you're the worst. You're not letting me avoid this thing. So anyways, she slid into my DMs, and then she slid into my life, and now she's my wife. So ladies, if you're looking for a man, don't wait for him. You can go after him if you really want him. Just saying, just saying, okay? And have a great Sunday. But Haley pursued me even when I didn't know that she was there. I think sometimes in our lives, we don't realize that God was pursuing us before we even knew he was there, before we even thought that he was thinking about us, before we even knew that he was a possibility for our lives, before we even knew anything about God, he knew everything about us. He was watching us, and he wasn't doing it in a creepy way. He was doing it in a loving father way. He was caring for us, and he just wanted us to reciprocate that love. See, God invited us into his story from the very beginning. Before the foundations of the world, God knew you. And that matters. Because that means you're part of the family. That means you're part of the plan. That means you're not an afterthought. But we have a problem. The problem is that sin came into the world and separated us from God. You see, God had a plan, thank goodness, and the plan was Jesus, and the plan was to make us blameless. Ephesians 5, 1, 5 says, he predestined us for adoptions as son through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. You see, he had a plan for us to be a part of his family. And it was a good plan, and this was his plan, is that while we were still sinners, he would offer us an opportunity to join his family through adoption. See, we cut off ties with him. We say, we don't want anything more. When Adam ate that apple, he said, we don't want relationship with you anymore. When we sinned, when I woke up this morning and I was really mad at my wife because she opened the door and the sun shone on my light, on my, my life, on my eyes at 5.30 in the morning, I sinned. I cut myself off from God. I said, I'm real angry right now. But God had a plan despite my failings. He had a plan, and the plan's name is Jesus. And the plan was that they would adopt us into their family. They'd bring us back, that although we cut ties, although we said, we're no longer part of this family, he made a way for us to join his family again. See, adoption, we know what adoption is. Adoption in the natural is you find a child, and you adopt it, and that child becomes part of your family. It, it becomes a co-heir with your children. It is equal with your children. It should be equal with your children. It's no different than flesh and blood. They are part of your family. And adoption is the way that God chose to explain how we're part of his family. And I think it's an amazing way to explain it because adoption is not something 
that the kid is putting in applications for the right parent. The kid is not saying, hey, adopt me because I have this skill, or I've got bitten by a spider, or I did this, or I did this. No, adoption is completely despite the child in some ways. Adoption is something that the parent chooses, not something the child chooses. So God chose us. It's not because of what we did. It's not because of what we can do. It's because of what he did and what he wants to do, that he gave us an opportunity to join his family. But like I said, there was a problem, and the problem was that we sinned. We, we fell short. There was, a, there was a price that needed to be paid. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin, what sin costs us is death. That's what it should cost us. But once again, since the beginning, God had a plan. Ephesians 1, 5 to 8 says Jesus was always the Father's plan for redemption. It says he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespass according to the riches of his grace, which he lavishes upon us in all wisdom and insight. You see, Jesus was always the plan from the beginning of the world. And, and we, we separate ourselves, but God said, I want you back. And so he sent Jesus to the earth to redeem us. Now, in this day and age, a lot of us don't understand what redemption means. When I think of redemption, I was thinking like, okay, what is redemption? I just think of like getting an iTunes gift card and like redeeming it online. And I'm like, sweet, 15 bucks, I can buy an album. Who buys albums anymore anyways? Um, I do actually still buy albums. Support, support local. No, don't. This is dumb. Um, I do buy. I do buy uh, the Hillsong albums. You know, I just still love them so much. Um, but redemption is not simply taking something that was given to you and putting it online and being like, "Sweet, I have fifteen bucks." Redemption in this day and age in in Israel would have been known completely different. In fact, redemption was something that you had such a big debt against you, you had such a cost against you that there's no way that you could pay that cost. There was no way that you could get an inheritance. There's no way that you could get to where you need to be going. But redemption says, not that I'm just going to wipe that away. No, redemption actually says that I'm going to pay the cost for you to be completely redeemed. You see, God didn't say, hey, you sinned and I'm just going to wash it away. No, he says, I'm sending Jesus to pay the cost and I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be a guarantee of that and he's going to mark your life and he's going to change your life every single day. So redemption, how, how, how does redemption work? Well, there's a story in the Bible that's one of the greatest examples of redemption. It's the story of Ruth and Boaz. And, and if you've ever read the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, it's actually one of the earliest books in the Bible. And it's the story of this, this woman, and, and, and actually starts with this woman named Naomi. And Naomi's this Israelite woman. She lives in Israel, and she's there with her husband and her two sons, and there's a drought in Israel, and she wants to, she wants to flee the drought. So she says, hey, let's, let's take up our stuff. Let's move over to Moab. There's no drought in Moab. And then once the drought goes away, we'll come back to Israel. So she, she leaves Israel, and when she gets to Moab, right away they find wives for the two sons. And, but sure enough, after a few years, her husband, Naomi's husband dies, and a few years later, one of, the sons, or one of the sons dies, and a few years later, the other son dies. So the only people that are left in the story is Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And this day, marrying a Moabite woman is not like a thing that you're trying to do. It would have been actually disgraceful 
to marry a Moabite woman if you were a Jew. It would have been something that you do not want to do. That's breaking God's law, in fact, in this day. And so Naomi decides, you know what, Moab hasn't been so good to me. Uh, I got two daughters-in-law, but everyone else died. So I think maybe Israel's better. I'm going to head back to Israel. And so she says to her daughters-in-law, she says, you go back to your families and your homes and, and your future and I'm going to go back to Israel, and we'll just kind of separate ways. And, and many of us know this, a quote from this story, because one of the daughters-in-law goes back home, but, but Ruth says to Naomi, she says, your land will be my land. Your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. And we've, we've heard this in, in weddings and, and, and all kinds of things. But Ruth says, I'm going to follow you where it's not easy where it's not simple, where, where things get a lot tougher. And so she follows, she follows Naomi into, into Israel, and they get to Israel, and they're really poor. And, and so Naomi says to Ruth, she says, hey, go and glean in the field. Go and glean in the field. Just go to some random field and go glean there. So she goes to this field, and she starts gleaning, and gleaning is like just picking up after like all the stuff that people drop behind them when they're harvesting their fields. So she's picking up all the extra all the extra, and, and the, the landowner who has this field looks and sees her and says, who is that woman? And one of his workers says, that's Ruth, the Moabitess. That's Ruth, the woman who came back from Moab with her mother-in-law. And now, the cost that it cost Ruth to come back to Moab was great because she would have been understanding that going back to Israel, no one would marry her. No one would continue her lineage. No one would take her up because she was from Moab. No one wanted her. She was, she was done. She was giving up and she was saying, I don't even care about all that, Naomi. I'm going to come with you because I believe in your God and I believe that he will take care of us. So, so this landowner, his name's Boaz, and he sees Ruth collecting in the field and he says, okay, people, please protect her. Make sure she's not you know, attacked by bandits. Leave a little bit extra without her knowing, you know. So he's kind of like putting out the moves. He's like flirting with her a little bit, you know. He's like, drop a few grains here, and maybe she'll like, you know, maybe she'll want me. Um, and so this, this goes on for a while, and he has some meals with her. And, and eventually Naomi says, Ruth, you need to go to Boaz, and you need to propose to him. You need to like pretty much pull a Haley on Boaz and go like lie at his feet and like put yourself out there, and then he'll really like notice you. And so Ruth listens to her mother her mother-in-law goes to Boaz, and, and Boaz is like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, I would love to redeem you. And, and this is where you hear about re- redemption. And so in the Bible, redemption is this thing where uh, if, if you have a cousin or, or a family member who dies, your closest relatives can redeem your land. They can take your land, and they can harvest it, and it can become part of their land. And they can make money on it, and it's, but it still kind of stays in your name, but they've redeemed it from you. So it's a great, it's a great thing. It's a great, like, you know, I have one acre of land, my cousin dies, now I have two acres of land. Like, it's a good situation, really. Um, But another part of redemption is that you actually have to marry the person whose land you're redeeming. And so it would have been thought at the time that Naomi was actually the person that was going to be married if someone redeemed the land. And so Boaz, you know, he, he comes up with this big plan. And he says, okay, I'm going to go to the, the city gates and I'm going to talk to the nearest redeemer, the nearest relative who's got first dibs at this land. I'm going to talk to him and see if he wants the land. So he goes and he talks to this guy. There's 10 other elders there and he says, do you want this land? Do you, would you like to redeem this land? And the, man, the, the guy says, yes, I'd like to redeem it. 
And Boaz is like, oh, but also, I forgot about this part. Ruth, you're going to have to marry Ruth. And the guy, when he said that, yes, I want to redeem it, he was probably thinking, oh, Naomi comes along with this deal. That's not a bad deal. She's too old to get pregnant, so, like, not going to have to deal with that. She'll probably die soon enough, so then I'll get her land. Like, this is a good situation for me. But when he heard that Ruth was in the deal, he said something that I think is so important for us to know. And he said, this is going to cost, the cost will be too great to redeem this land. Now, I think, why, why would the cost be too great? Like, he's still going to get the land that he was going to get. He's still going to, he's going to get a woman, and he's going to get some kids. And, like, I mean, I'd rather, like, a 40-year-old a or, tw- no, not a 40-year-old. I'd rather, like, a 20-year-old than, like, an 80-year-old, you know? So I'm thinking, like, this guy's got a good deal going. Why would it cost him too much? But the way it worked is that when you redeemed one of your kinsmen, when you had a child with that person, the child actually kept the name of the person who had passed away. He kept the family name of the mom. He kept the family name of that side of the family. In fact, your whole name would be completely wiped out because that person would take on all of your assets. So you would be like getting this inheritance for your lifetime. It'd be great. But for your kids, they wouldn't get anything because your kids are part of another family. Your family name would cease to exist. You see, he said it would cost too much because in order to redeem someone, they had to give up their entire inheritance to redeem someone. So Boaz is like, okay, uh, you know, I'm going to still redeem this, this, this Ruth. He redeems her, um, and the rest is, you know, everyone lived happily ever after. One of the funny things in the story is that the man who did not redeem Ruth said, it's going to cost too much, and my family name will be swi- will, will be." Uh, forgotten forever. And in the Bible, it doesn't actually even write what this guy's name is. We have no clue what the name is, but we do know the name of Boaz, and we do know the name of Ruth, and we actually know that that was the direct lineage of King David, and we also know that's the direct lineage of Jesus. You see, in this story, we have three examples of redemption. The first example of redemption is that Naomi, or sorry, Ruth, was willing to sacrifice everything that she had to follow Naomi, to possibly give Naomi another chance to get back her inheritance, to get back what she had lost when she had left to Moab. The second example of redemption is Boaz. And Boaz comes in and he redeems Naomi and Ruth because he's, he's providing offspring. He's providing a future for these, these people. And the third example of redemption is actually God's redemption for the whole story. Just like it says, his, his name was supposed to be wiped out. Boaz, we're not supposed to know about Boaz. But God in his goodness and his grace, he redeemed the whole story. And he made Boaz and he made Ruth direct lineage of Jesus. You see, why is all this important? Why, why does this matter? Why does redemption matter? Well, it matters because there's a very great cost involved with you becoming adopted children of God. This wasn't something that was free. This wasn't something that was easy. This wasn't something that was, you know, an accident. This is something that was premeditated. It was planned. It was put into effect, and it was delivered. See, Jesus was always the Father's plan for redemption. and He redeems each and every single one of us. Our debt has been fully paid. But how do we know? How do we know that we're part of the family? How do we know that we're redeemed? How do we know any of these things? Well, The Holy Spirit is the guarantee that we are part of the family. Ephesians 1, 9 to 14 says, Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, 
as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to, pra- might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You see, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that we are part of the family. It's not like he had this plan and he did it and then we're like, we live our lives without anything, without knowing what it means to be part of the family or, or anything like that. No, he sent someone, he sent the Holy Spirit to come and to seal our hearts and to become really the, the person who guides our lives. So many people, so many Christians, so many just people in the world say, man, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what my plan is. I don't know what, what I'm supposed to do for my life or my career. And it's like, sometimes I'm like, do you understand that you are adopted children of God, that the Holy Spirit is in you, guiding you and walking with you? What is God's will for your life? God's will for your life is that you follow him one step at a time. That's God's will for your life. It's as simple as that. Now, there's complications in between that. There's difficulties in between that, but if we're trusting Jesus, and if we know that the Holy Spirit is with us, he will guide us and he'll lead us exactly where we need to go. So I've talked about adoption. I've talked about redemption. Why does all of this even matter? Well, it matters because I think a lot of us stumble around our lives not knowing what our origin story is. We don't know that we have an amazing heritage. We don't know that God has a plan for us and wants to bring us into the fold as his family member, as co, the Bible says, co-heirs with Christ. Like, think about the significance of that. Co-heirs with Christ. Like, co-heirs with Jesus. Like, that's an insane thing. Like, that means that he put his inheritance on the line for me. He put his inheritance on the line for you because you have a purpose and a plan that he wants to accomplish in this world. You see, God wants us to be a part of his family. Jesus came and made it possible for us to be redeemed, and the Holy Spirit is the mark that we are redeemed. But I think another part of this is that, why does it matter? I think it matters because so many of us walk around our lives saying, yes, I, the Holy Spirit's in me, and, but we don't allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. We don't allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and say, don't do that. When was the last time you had something and you just felt bad about it but you, you didn't do it. There are so many times we go through our lives and it's like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. But we do it anyways. See, when we have that feeling in us that's like, oh, I shouldn't do that, that's actually the Holy Spirit saying, hey, no, I'm leading you in the opposite direction. This isn't what our family does. This isn't what you do. You're no longer part of the sin. You're no longer a part of that family. You're a part of a new family. Run away from that. Come to what the family does. Come to what Jesus does. Come to what God wants from you. See, I think a lot of us, myself included, we kind of chip away at the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We we chip away at God allowing us to be led by the Holy Spirit. One of my youth pastors when I was growing up has one of my favorite analogies about conviction. He says it's like, uh, who here has used like a wood lathe before? Let's see your hands. Or know what's a wood lathe? Only one person? Wow. So a wood lathe is this thing that, like, you have start with a square piece of wood, and it spins really, really fast. And then you, like, put this piece of metal there, and it kind of, like, chips off the corners. And then you can make, like, beautiful, like, legs for 
tables and stuff. Um, but one of the best examples of conviction I ever heard was the example of the lathe. And it's like when you start out, when you have the Holy Spirit, it's like you're, you're a square. And, like, that's not an insult. Um, but, but it's like you're, you're a square. Your, your corners are intact. And every time you ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it takes a little knife to that corner. It chips off a corner. And it chips off a corner. It chips off a corner. It chips off a corner. And then you go through your life, and you're like, man, I don't feel anything anymore. Nothing is sin, and I just get to do whatever I want. And, like, yeah, I'm adopted by God, but what does that even mean? I can do whatever I want because uh, everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial, so I'm just going to do what's permissible. It's because you've become, you've gotten rid of all of the edges. Now you're just a circle. Now there's nothing for the wood even to touch anymore. I think that God desires, I know that God desires that we have the Holy Spirit to guide us. He guides us to grace and to forgiveness and to redemption. He gives us a second chance. But he also asks us to turn away from our old lives, to turn away from the sin that so easily ensnares us. So today, are, are you going in the direction of the Holy Spirit? Are you walking in the family business? Are you looking more and more like your father? Or are you looking more and more like the world that you said you're no longer a part of? We no longer abide by the rules of our old, old family sin. We abide by the statutes of our new family. Why don't we stand this morning? I just really believe that God wants to speak to you today, that he wants to change your life, and that he wants you to to have a new perspective on your identity, on who you are, on where you came from. Your origin story is not a story that's steeped in sin and steeped in brokenness. Your origin story is steeped in a plan and a purpose. It's steeped in a future. It's steeped in God knowing exactly what you're going to do and what you will do. It It was planned before time, before the foundations of the world. You're not an afterthought. You're not a mistake. No matter what your family situation is, no matter what your work situation is, no matter what your friend's situation is, no matter what any of your situations are in your life, God knows that you're going through that. And when you ask him into your heart, he knew you'd go through that. He knew that you'd struggle with sin. He knew all of these things, and yet he still accepted us into his family. For me, that gives me great encouragement because I know when I stumble and when I fall, when I'm angry or when I, when I sin or when I ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I know that God knew I was going to do that and he still accepted me into his family. But he doesn't just do that and just say, hey, don't worry about it. He says, you're accepted into my family. I love you. I have so much grace for you, but let's get better. Let's begin to look more like Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've never heard of this story of adoption. You've never heard that Jesus wants to be a part of your family, that he's been pursuing you before you even knew it, that he's pursuing you even now. If that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus into your heart. See, adoption, God is is a gentleman. The Bible says God is a gentleman. He will not force himself upon you. And so while he wants to adopt you, he's not going to force the adoption. In fact, you have to sign away the papers to be accepted. He, he accepts you, but you need to sign away the papers to invite him into your heart. 